NFL Week 11 Prop Bets and Hitman. It's a fascinating time to be talking about the prop betting market with you. Yesterday, you were quoted in a Washington Post article with the headline, Sportsbooks Say You Can Win Big, Then They Try to Limit Winners. And you were quoted alongside a who's who in the betting industry, Rob Pizzola, also with the Hammer Betting Network, alongside Spanky, Rufus Peabody, Matt Metcalf at Circa for some good perspective from the other side of the counter. I want to drop a link to that article in the show notes so that people can check it out in full. But Hitman, since you were quoted, I'd love it if you could give a quick synopsis on the story and what you think it means for betters in this audience. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's going to change anything, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of these sports books just the, – the, the main thing that the article was – trying to talk about is just the hypocrisy that all these sports books say yeah you could win you could win and we we, we love winners and everything and it's just complete it's complete bs i mean you yes you can win but you got to win their way which is a, is a long-term negative ev proposition which is betting nfl sides 10 minutes before kickoff doing same game parlays doing parlays and if you demonstrate that you have an edge you're very likely going to be limited to not not amounts that you could could make a, a living off of. I'll, I'll just say it like that. So I thought the article did a really good job. They 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 got a lot of sharp people in the industry that they talk to about the issue. And I, I say this all the time. I don't expect a sports book like DraftKings to let me go crazy and bet thousand dollars on props. 1500 2000 on my app on props. But what I do ask for is a respectable limit. And like a place like BetMGM, they're limiting you to $5. I mean, it's just egregiously low. It, it's a slap in the face. To, and if you're letting people with actual gambling problems bet, I mean, BetMGM once, I think they publicized that they took a hundred grand on a player prop from some account and then on other people that they think are, are winners, they take $5. It's just egregious. And you know what? The only thing I could ask people that are listening to this is some of you are probably limited, especially if you're betting props and you're winning, you're limited also by these places. The only thing I could say is keep publicizing it because the only thing that's ever going to change this is publicizing it because these sports books do not want this public out there it's a bad look for them and they don't want the the mass media to be aware of it they don't want stories like this written so the best thing that you could do with this is just publicize it because it's re it's really not not right now there should just be a happy medium in what a player like me is allowed to get compared to to what they, they want to give me there, there's just got to be a happy medium 200 bucks. Like I said in the article, if, if the local bookie in Atlantic City booking out of her bra with a dollar with $5,000 to her name and then the person's booking bets, if they're willing to take $200 on props and you're bet MGM and you're a $10 billion company, you got to be willing to give somebody a non slap in the face limit. 
Yeah, it's an interesting time where the sports books are definitely keeping us on our toes from time to time when things are going pretty well. And at the same time, the schedule this week has been keeping a lot of betters on their toes. Want to go out of rotation order for the first game to get to on Sunday because it's been in the news perhaps more than any other game this Sunday. That would be the Browns taking on the Bills. Now that game's slated to take place Sunday in Detroit. Hitman, what impact, if any, does the relocation of this game have on your prop betting point of view? Oh, it's everything. I mean, <laughs> there's a reason that the total right now, what is it, like 50 right now, the over-under? And by the time when this – at one point it got as low as 41 due to the weather. It, it literally changes everything. In a game that you almost – you're almost blindly playing unders if there's an egregiously bad amount of snow and, and then including on top of that – 40, 45 mile power, mile power wind gusts. If you're net, you move to a dome, it completely changes your handicap. So all I'd say is if you had any ideas on what you were going to bet in this game, when you thought the game was in Buffalo, just literally rip up your notes, throw it in the garbage and start over. Cause now with the game in a dome, it's a, it's a completely different ball game. Has that led to anything, perhaps some inclination for a lot of betters to look toward Brown's rushing props? I'm sure when the game was looking like it would take place in Buffalo, now perhaps looking at Buffalo's way in the passing game, in the comfortable confines in Detroit, anything you're seeing value on, or is it just more of a a macro level way to look at things and let people make their own decisions from there? Yeah, I mean, there's no props out right now on the game, but I think if you were looking at Cleveland rushing stuff, this really doesn't change much. And and the reason is because Buffalo's run defense has been really bad in recent weeks. And I mean, Buffalo's game plan, or excuse me, Cleveland's game plan is going to be to run the heck out of the ball, at least early in this game. You would theoretically think that. So I think that it, it doesn't change much from Brown's rushing props. Um, What it does change is it changes the Buffalo side of things. I mean, Josh Allen, who knows how low his passing yards number would have got to. And now you put him in a dome against a really bad defense. You would have to theoretically think that the Allen numbers are going to be close to normal, as well as Diggs and some of the other weapons for Buffalo. Speaking of close to normal, next game I want to get to Philadelphia at Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor looked a lot closer to normal last week, showing a return to health that we really haven't seen for much of this season. Eagles also going to be without Jordan Davis, who's been a big presence in the interior of that defensive line so far this season. So from a handicapping standpoint, I can see a good look at Jonathan Taylor to go over from a rushing yardage standpoint. The number currently 85 and a half. Is there any value right now? Oh, that's the issue. You know, it's such a good handicap, in my opinion. I was all ready to play some Taylor stuff. Maybe I do eventually get involved in his receiving, maybe because he, he got a ton of work in the receiving game now with Naheem Hines not being on the team anymore and Deion Jackson being questionable for this game. But my first inclination is that the, the rush yards might have came in just a, a little higher than I wanted to. You know, last week his over-under was 72-and-a-half or something, and they're three-point underdogs to a, a bad defense in the Raiders four-point underdogs. Now you're seven-point underdogs, and his number is 13 yards higher. I, I wanted I, I wanted to play 
Taylor overs. I, I get everything you're saying without Jordan Davis on the field. This run defense has been struggling. The, the Redskins, Washington, whatever they, they are, they, the commanders, they, um, they put out the blueprint. If seemingly thinks like, feels like that to keep Philly off the field, run the heck out of the ball. That, that's what they did to them on Monday. And you would think that Jeff Saturday and this Colts team is going to do the same. So I think it's a good handicap, but unfortunately in the, in the mid eighties, I think that the, the market just might've caught up to, to it. Unfortunately. It's a recurring theme we've touched on often throughout the course of the season. It takes two to tango. You need a good handicap and it also needs to be paired with a good number. We might not have the right number for Jonathan Taylor, so we can go ahead and move on. I want to talk Detroit at the Giants. And Jacob, you will be in attendance for this one, your first time at a Giants game. So I want to let you do the honors and see if there's any props that you'd like to run by Hitman to maybe offset some of the costs of your upcoming trip. Yeah, I there's one that I really liked. I'm just going to pull up the numbers right now. But Darius Slayton, and this is one that we had earlier in the season on this show that uh, one pretty late in the game, if I remember correctly, but his receiving yards are at 43 and a half over the course of his career. I feel like this is somebody who has consistently gone over that number, uh, had 95 yards last game, though there was that one 50, 60 yard uh, t- receiving touchdown. But I feel like 43 and a half is kind of low, but I wanted to get Hitman's thoughts on if that's a good number to play at plus 100 at some places. I know he's been getting a lot more of the usage been playing well for them uh, I, I just I don't know if I could get there at at 43 and a half personally in such a low volume passing offense I mean you could fear I mean I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that they just run the heck out of the ball again I mean you saw Saquon Barkley had 35 carries last week against Houston I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that that does happen again. Um, one prop that I do like in that game is from a Detroit perspective. I, I couldn't believe this. Monra St. Brown, who some people are calling baby cup with the usage that he gets. His target share against the Blitz. We know that Wink Martindale and the Giants, they're the Blitz heaviest team in the NFL. His target share is 45% <laughs> against the Blitz. That is, that's amazing. So literally almost half of Jared Goff's attempts against the Blitz are going to Amon Ross St. Brown. So I thought I think Amon Ross St. Brown over 74 and a half receiving yards is worth a look. But one thing I'm going to need from you, Jacob, is hmm. where where are your seats going to be by chance? Are they going to be like field level up high? Pretty pretty high up. <laughs> okay. I was hoping they would be on field level, but I want you to give me an update on the wind when you're at the game because <laughs> wind could derail – a lot of passing overs. Now, I don't think it's supposed to be that bad in this game. Like nothing like where I'm going to not, I'm going to avoid a receivers over or anything, but weather can change. So when you're there, maybe just shoot me a telegram real quick and say, <laughs> Hey, the, uh, the wind is bad or whatever you think. Will do. Uh, the, I'm Ross St. Brown was one. I definitely also wanted to touch on. I was looking at his receiving totals, reception totals, but it's just not available anywhere. Uh, probably for reasons that you're specifying there. That was a market I was actually interested in going over on, even though, uh, obviously I'm there supporting the giants, but, 
uh, I guess that kind of showcases with your handicap there why it may yeah, not be Yeah, there's no receptions lines on anybody right yeah. now. They're, they're just – stuff's coming out later and later in the week. But I do think the 74-and-a-half receiving yards is a, is a decent look. Well, while we're talking Amon Ross, St. Brown, and the Detroit Lions, maybe a good time to work in the note that Hitman and I did agree on a side bet after we went head-to-head a bit on the full game side for – Lions Bears last week, but if he's laying two and a half and I'm taking three, that's not really a head-to-head bet. So we settled on first half. Hitman took the Bears minus one. I had Detroit plus one. I believe they were tied at halftime. Uh, I do know that the Lions did cover that end of the bargain for me. So first bar tab on Hitman at Bet Bash three. Maybe if Amon Ross St. Brown goes over here, that can cover the cost of that bet that will settle up now that we know Bet Bash three slated to take place in August. It's a ways out, but it's nice having that to look forward to already. Moving on. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, hey, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you. I, I hate to pass post this. I'm going to sound like a big excuse maker, but when I bet first halves or quarters, it's very rare ever I lay anything i'll take the money line because a lot of times it's just i don't think the books fully account for the value of just how often a game will push especially for a quarter how often a game will push but a half sometimes also so i i i regret i should have said you know i'll I'll lay extra vig on the money line for the first half could have got out with a push but it's all good (laughs) and Live and learn. Well, moving on to the next game on our Sunday slate that we'll get into here. Rams at the Saints. Hitman, pretty open-ended question here. But without Cooper Cup, I am reminded of the saying, chaos breeds opportunity, as I butcher the saying that I've had top of mind when I think about this game all week. And without Cooper Cup, I'm just wondering if that could spark any opportunity elsewhere on the field for either of these two teams because the prop betting market would usually center around Cup quite a bit, and now there are a lot of other guys who might get more opportunity. Yeah, I haven't bet anything yet in it. My first inkling was Allen Robinson's line came in a little high. I know I think he's at 48 and a half receiving yards right now. I'll be honest, I was high on him coming into the year, but I just don't know if he's that guy that can get even with, with, as the number one receiver in an offense that I don't know if he's good enough right now to, to get to be this high. And yes, let, let's monitor the, uh, the Marshawn Lattimore situation. I think if Lattimore does play, maybe potentially look worth looking towards an under on Allen Robinson. But um, I know Stafford under 232 and a half was a play by a group um, the other day, I think the line is maybe a few yards different right now. I, I would lean towards the under, even at a few yards lower than that 232 and a half right now. But um, yeah, there's not a ton of lines out right now, but that that's like with Skoranek or guys like that. But um, I, w- I would envision that Skoranek kind of ends up being like the bootleg Cooper Cup. So maybe he has some value on numbers, but Gotta see what these numbers come in at. Yeah, with Skoranek, I'm really not seeing much of anything yet aside from touchdowns, touchdown receptions, which might as well be the same thing unless somebody thinks he might rush one in somehow. With Stafford, there are still some 232 and a halfs available from a passing yardage standpoint. Um, some of those are at a flat minus 115. Some are juiced pretty heavily. And then I'm seeing as low as 229 and a half, but still sounds like there's a good bit of wiggle room if somebody wants to get in play that way for the Rams at the Saints. 
Moving on to the late window on Sunday, Bengals at the Steelers. Hitman, I want to talk about Najee Harris for a bit here. Kind of the foil to Jonathan Taylor from a handicapping standpoint, whereas Taylor seems to be getting healthier. Harris is nursing a knee injury. We've also seen Jalen Warren take on a greater share of the workload out of the Steelers' backfield. And the Eagles for Jonathan Taylor are going to be missing a big stopgap along the defensive line. Will the Bengals getting a key reinforcement back with DJ Reader? Yesterday, there was a release on Harris. So I know some of the value, if not all of it's gone at this point, seeing Harris's rush yardage total at 47 and a half, any meat left on the bone for somebody looking to possibly go under that number. I think it still has some value at 48 and a half. Um, Yeah. Like you said, it opened 51 and a half and it's up for five minutes and somebody has to post it and it gets, it gets lowered and everything. But I think that at one at, at 47 and a half, there's some value. I mean, some of the stuff that you're hearing about Harris right now is pretty concerning just with the, the knee issue and with Jalen Warren getting a ton of snaps. Now you, you look at Harris, his overall snap count wasn't bad, but what was bad, it was the snap percentage was the worst that it's been. And the Steelers just ran a ton of plays, which meant that both backs were able to get a lot of snaps. And let's remember, DJ Reader is likely coming back for the Bengals this year. With Reader on the field, the Bengals are the number one run defense in the NFL and running back success rate allowed. So I think there's a lot of a lot of ways that you can maybe get, get in where, where Harris goes under. So, yeah, even, even at the adjusted number, I think that Harris – uh, is worth a bet. Sounds good. So maybe bankroll management wise, dialing back the staking a little bit since the number is not as good. But if there is value, it doesn't mean passing altogether just because the best of the number is gone. So we'll keep that one in mind. Also want to touch on the Sunday nighter with you, Hitman. The Chiefs at the Chargers. Not a lot of numbers available yet, but want to lay out some handicapping notions for a couple of running backs here. And then as the market unfolds after we get the final injury report, maybe this can turn into some actionable information for the audience. I want to kick it off with Austin Eckler. I feel like the Chargers offensive line has just been so overmatched with a lot of injuries that it's been dealing with recently. And in the passing game, Eckler has had a monster workload in the absence of guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I wonder if the Chargers might start to implement some load management with Eckler, kind of like what we saw in the Chargers opponent last Sunday night with the Niners not giving Christian McCaffrey too many carries. So uh, our bet last week on him to go over, surprisingly, never really felt like it had much of a chance. Eckler, for example, if we talk load management, last week the Chargers had 16 rushing attempts. Eckler only got six of them for 24 yards. I also think there might be a bit of a free roll on game script with the Chiefs favored by five in this one. So a lot of notions pointing toward Eckler rushing yards under. Again, we're waiting for numbers to become widely available. But Hitman, if and when we do see some numbers on this, is there a go price that you would keep in mind for possible value on Eckler to come in under from a rushing yardage standpoint? Yeah, with Eckler, before the season, he was, even himself, he was saying, I want to be conserved. I want to have a long career. So if you hear a player saying that, it's usually, they're going to try to do it because players don't often want to come off the field. So yeah, I think that Eckler unders, I mean, it's probably going to come in in like the, the mid to high 40s on rush yards. I, I think they're worth a look. I was actually looking towards his overs in the pass game because I know as, as much as in the run game, they're not giving him the same usage. In the pass game, they're still giving him a ton of usage. I think he had seven catches again against San Francisco. 
And like you said, the game script could go against them. And the Chiefs are the worst defense in the NFL against opposing running backs in the passing game. So with Eckler, if, if you see Keenan Allen and Mike Williams still out, Gerald Everett's bat, banged up right now. If, if the Eckler receiving number gets put up at like five and a half catches, possibly worth a look. So I, I don't think uh, – I wouldn't be opposed to anything where you say, all right, I, I look towards Eckler under rush yards, but maybe look to play him over in the receiving stats. And I specifically like a look at over in receptions because the Chargers – Part of it, I, I might be a little bit excessive in my blame toward Joe Lombardi for this. I know there's a lot of personnel and matchup issues at this stage with so many injuries, but they seem to be the king of completed passes that go for unsuccessful plays. A lot of them losing yardage, many of them going for no gain or just one or two yards. So Eckler might get six or seven receptions here and not light it up from a yardage standpoint, but he has been targeted early and often by Justin Herbert. Do you think, Hitman, if we do get news that Allen and Williams and perhaps Everett are going to suit up for this one uh, or any combination of those three, I feel like that might suppress the numbers for Eckler a little bit. But especially with a guy like Keenan Allen, we saw him come back against Seattle before the Chargers by. He seemed to be on a snap count, didn't do much in that game. Mike Williams, if he plays, it would be pretty aggressively early after a high yeah. ankle sprain that he also suffered in that Seahawks game. Everett's been banged up in and out of the lineup, even when he's suited up for games. So I feel like if we get news that any of those guys are going, or perhaps all of them, Eckler's numbers might get suppressed, and that could present value because even if those guys are playing, it doesn't equate to them playing at 100%. So Eckler's workload in the passing game could still be intact. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I don't think these guys are even going to play. Mike Williams, I mean, I think he's dealing with a high ankle sprain or something. Keenan Allen said he's not going to play again until he's 100%. I don't even think these guys are going to play, but if they do, I think Eckler's still going to get his targets. I mean, just this, the scheme of this Chiefs defense is built to funnel targets to the running backs. And it's just, that's how the Chargers want to play. They have one of the, Justin Herbert is one of the lowest average depth of targets in the entire NFL. So I think that regardless, uh, so Eckler receiving stuff on the receptions might be decent. Sounds good. And looking at the other side of the ball for a moment in this one, also want to look at Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs. When I consider reasons to be bullish about what he might accomplish on Sunday night, I actually look toward another position group on the Kansas City offense at wide receiver. It's looking like Juju probably going to be out with a concussion. We know that Hardman's also out. So the top three receivers for the Chiefs, it's looking like it'll be Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney. Not exactly the most imposing top three tandem receiving core. We know Mahomes can still make a lot out of very little, so I don't think the Chiefs passing game will be completely dormant. But I do think this might lead the Chiefs to being a little bit more run heavy than they would typically be. And against a depleted Chargers defensive line, there could be some favorable matchups there. Also seems like in recent weeks, Pacheco has been taking on more of a workload out of that Chiefs backfield away from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And in this sense, it could also be a free roll on the game script with the Chiefs, with them being favored if they're running the ball a lot in the later stages that could benefit Pacheco. So from a rushing yardage standpoint, in his case, is there a number where you might be inclined to play him over? Oh, um, it, it all makes sense. I mean, you would theoretically think that, that that would be the game plan against a Chargers defense that's just been ob obliterated by – defensive line injuries um i'd probably say i think the number comes in in the 
low fifties, maybe in the mid forties, I'd look to play over, but I I'd probably think it comes in, in the low fifties, but you're right. Clyde Edwards Hilaire really didn't even play much their last game. And that was a game that the chiefs had control of game script went good and they gave Pacheco the rock. So as much as Pacheco, like his efficiency hasn't been that great this year. So I, I worry a little bit about that, about a guy that I just don't know how good he is. Like he's getting a lot of opportunity at the end of the day, he is a seventh round rookie. And I, I mean, he's probably the best back that the chiefs have, but I don't know what that's saying. So I, I get a little concerned about betting guys on the over that I just don't, I'm not fully confident in how good they are, but I agree that probably it makes logical sense that the opportunity is going to be there. And especially with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like basically getting phased out of this offense that maybe if, if you see a mid forties number, you play over. When you talk about efficiency concerns, it also reminds me of the Chargers, despite surprisingly keeping the Niners ground game in check from an explosiveness standpoint, still six out of the last eight weeks, the Chargers have allowed a rush of at least 40 yards. So if there's some trepidation about Pacheco's efficiency, maybe a look at a longest rush yardage over. It just, you know, it, it can be dangerous as a prop better to think, hey, all it takes is one big play. But in this case, with this matchup, that might be the ticket uh, that usually would come in for a running back who's going to see a decent workload. I don't know what, probably in the the mid to high teens for a longest rush attempt. Yeah, probably something like yeah, 13 and 12 and a half, 13 and a half, something like that. I would say, I would think. Got it. Okay. I was thinking mid to high teens, but if it's even lower than that, um, yeah. No, because like even much. like Nick Chubb, who's like the most explosive runner in the league, his numbers like 18 and a half mm. every week. That's probably skewing my perception. I often look at it for more of the marquee guys. I know when we talked about Saquon last week, we considered over 18 and a half for his longest rush. Didn't lock it in officially. And uh, of course he did exceed that total. But yeah, if it's not a marquee back who has a clear stranglehold on the workload, a lower number would certainly make sense there. Cool. Well, Hitman, one more game to talk about on the week 11 slate, Monday night football, San Francisco against Arizona and Mexico City. And for this one, I wanted to run a game prop by you. This one being played at Estadio Azteca, where the altitude greater than 7,200 feet. And for reference, we refer to Denver's home stadium as mile high. Well, this one going to be played at about 2,000 feet higher when we talk elevation. And we know that the ball tends to carry higher. Uh, the ball tends to carry farther, excuse me, at higher elevation. So I'm looking at the longest field goal in this one. I'm seeing over 47 and a half at minus 125. And I think this could be interesting because for a point of comparison, the total in that Niners Cardinals game on Monday night, currently 43 and a half. And if I compare this to the game Jacob's going to be at, the Lions at the Giants, that one has a total of 45, going to be played roughly at sea level when we talk about the elevation. So in a game with a higher total, much lower elevation, you touched earlier, Hitman, on some wind concerns. We're seeing the same line for the longest field goal prop. So what am I missing here on some value perhaps toward the over for the longest field goal at Estadio Azteca on Monday night? I haven't thought about it much. It makes a ton of logical sense. The only pushback that I would probably give you is just to monitor who the Cardinals kicker is because I know they've had a ton of kicking issues this year, and I know that Matt Prater was ruled out against the Rams, didn't play. 
Um, I would monitor who the Cardinals kicker is going to be. I think if they do have their, their normal kicker back, then it's, it's a good, it's a good look, but that that's probably going to be the, the key to the handicap for me is who's kicking for the Cardinals. Got it. Even in the kicking game, injury concerns galore. Welcome to the NFL Week 11, 2022. So at this stage, we'll make the most of the hand that we've been dealt. Hitman, want to lock in some picks here. What are you looking to make official for the Props and Hops Week 11 portfolio? We'll go with Amon Ross St. Brown over 74 and a half receiving yards. Um, If Jacob tells me that the wind is egregious on Sunday, we'll look to get out of it, but I I don't think it's going to be. So um, over 74 and a half on Amon Ross St. Brown. And the other one, um, I'm looking through my sheet, seeing if there's something that I didn't talk about. Um, Let's go with Terry McLaurin over 59 and a half receiving yards. Didn't talk about that one, but McLaurin's target share has been ridiculously high with Taylor Heineke at quarterback, and I just thought that that number was too low. I was expecting it to be in the mid-60s, so let's go with those two. Sounds good. Well, if you're expecting mid-60s, then even at 59.5, there could be a decent bit of wiggle room if somebody doesn't get the best of the number. Still probably playable in the low 60s, so like that look at McLaurin. I will go ahead and lock in Najee Harris under 47 and a half rushing yards. I know it's not getting the best of the number. I want to be conscientious of that from a bankroll management standpoint. So maybe this is, let's say, eight tenths of a unit instead of a full unit. But just because we're not getting the very best of the number doesn't mean that it's not bettable altogether. So a little bit of nuance there, but I still like the value on Harris under 47 and a half rushing yards. And I'll be keeping a close eye on the Cardinals injury report to find out who their kicker is going to be. Not ready to make it official yet. I appreciated your word of caution there, but giving a good look at the longest field goal over 47 and a half yards on Monday Night Football. And Hitman, we'll talk about a teaser again this week because we won one last week. That's up to three three teaser wins this season through 10 weeks. We'll see if we can make it four. I'm looking at Buffalo minus one and a half against the Browns. Again, that's a neutral site game in Detroit and pairing that with the Vikings plus seven and a half hosting Dallas. On the Buffalo side of things, pretty straightforward here. I think the relocation favors some edges for them in the passing game. So essentially asking the better team to do a little more than one outright. With the Vikings, I think it's a bit more interesting from a handicapping standpoint. I think of the saying, it's better to be lucky than good. And for the Vikings, I would say it's probably just best to be both. It's become very in vogue to ask if the Vikings are a good team anymore. And I, I think all the hipsters can stop asking that question. No, they're not as good as you would think with an 8-1 and one team. I know a lot of it, people have been saying the same about the Giants at 7-2. and two. But Minnesota, I think we can pretty safely say at this stage, has proven itself to be at least a good team. And a lot of the narrative that questions whether they're any good seems to ignore what I would think was some pretty significant bad luck they got last week. Yes, they've gotten plenty of positive variants over the course of the season. But I haven't heard anybody else who's been bagging on the Vikings and their record mention the fact that Gabe Davis was awarded a catch on the Bills' last-minute drive to force overtime last week, and it was not a catch. And it should have been looked at. Had it been reviewed, it would have been overturned, and the Vikings probably win that game in regulation. So a huge break for the Bills from an officiating standpoint that worked against Minnesota to take that game to overtime. 
And then once we get to overtime, Vikings in a goal-to-go situation, Dalvin Cook tackled for a three-yard loss. Well, turns out it's a lot easier to tackle somebody for a three-yard loss when you're playing defense with 12 men on the field and the offense only has 11. Buffalo didn't get flagged there. It would have resulted in first and goal at the one for the Vikings. Instead, Minnesota ends up settling for a field goal. So some rough officiating variants. Every team has to deal with it at some point, but some huge volatile swings against the Vikings last week, and they still win in Buffalo. I think they still won and overcame the officiating because they're a good team. And I'm not ready to say that Dallas isn't the better team, but with the Vikings having arguably the strongest home field advantage in the league, I feel like Dallas minus one and a half is probably a better line for a neutral field. So I like the Vikings up through the seven paired with the Bills minus one and a half. Hitman, what do you think? If I didn't already bet the Vikings plus one and a plus one and a half plus two, then I would be on this. So fully endorse it. The the one that I'm personally playing is the Buffalo San Francisco one, but if if I I completely agree with this one as well. Obviously, since I bet Minnesota in the game, so yeah, complete agreement. As far as the San Francisco teaser leg goes, I think that when we get confirmation on the Cardinals quarterback situation, that line's going to change a little bit for better or worse, whether it's Kyler Murray or Colt McCoy or with both of them banged up. Maybe it's somebody behind door number three. When you consider the Cardinals quarterback uncertainty, how does that factor into your level of confidence playing the 49ers in a teaser at this stage? I don't think the line's going to – I mean, I think that the even if Murray gets ruled in, it's probably only going to go to – seven at the at the worst it would go to for san francisco so it, it it's not much of a factor right now especially with murray not 100 percent. he's the worst quarterback in the nfl as far as playing through injuries goes so it's not much of a factor point taken we'll rapid fire recap of the props and hops week 11 portfolio we've got Hitman on Amon Ross St. Brown over 74 and a half receiving yards and Terry McLaurin over 59 and a half receiving yards. I'm going with Najee Harris under 47 and a half rushing yards. And also this week's teaser, the Bills minus one and a half against the Browns and the Vikings plus seven and a half hosting the Cowboys. Honorable mentions would be considering the Niners in a teaser as well. And also that longest field goal prop. Keep an eye on the Cardinals kicking situation, but perhaps quite a bit of value on the longest field goal over 47 and a half laying minus 125 on Monday Night Football. As we always do, want to weave in the hops at this stage. Jacob, I know you've got a big trip planned for the weekend. Any plans or any recommendations that you've gotten to this point that have informed that weekend itinerary? No, nothing in particular. I, I kind of like going in, some, some, partially when I go on a trip like this, I like going in blind and kind of stumbling on maybe like a diamond in the rough sort of place. I was in England earlier in the year, and that kind of worked out really, really well for me. So uh, obviously open to suggestions. Matt, I'm hoping you have a couple, but... I like just kind of seeing where everything goes naturally sometimes. Sounds good. Well, I will give you one for any time you might spend in the city and one for your time in Jersey and then let you figure out the rest from there. I like yeah. the open-mindedness. When you're in the city, um, I think it goes without saying, I won't belabor the point, but Other Half Brewing, we've given them plenty of play on this show in recent weeks. They have a tasting room in Rockefeller Center. So if you're nearby, I would say that's a no-brainer to check out. But if you're looking for a cool spot that's uh, in a different part of town, there is a really good bar called Grand Delancey. That's in the Lower East Side. And they've got 50 taps, also some cans and bottles, really high quality, a ton of variety. So if you're in the city, anywhere near the Lower East Side, highly recommend Grand Delancey. 
And when you're in Jersey, I'd recommend a spot called Worst Bar. That's W-U-R-S-T-B-A-R. And it's in Jersey City, so it's not right in the backyard of where you'll be staying in the Secaucus area, but it is a pretty straight shot. Uh, I think half an hour or less from either the Grand Delancey or you know where you'll be staying in Secaucus near MetLife Stadium. Worst Bar was a haven for me at the first Bet Bash. They've got 10 to 12 beers on tap. They focus primarily on lagers, sours, and IPAs. Also, two to three dozen cans and bottles available for on-site consumption or to go at any given moment. The cans they offer pretty similar to the draft list. The bottles, they really specialize in Belgian styles. So that sounds up your alley, Jacob. Yeah, so that, that gave me a good lean toward Worst Bar. Last thing I'll say as far as the recommendation for them goes, the food there is also really good. They do sausages, dogs, burgers, chicken sandwiches. I'd recommend some sort of beer and food pairing. And I can say from firsthand experience, right before Bet Bash, I had their Mushroom Swiss Burger with an IPA. Definitely a case where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Looking forward to got, uh, testing some of these. I, I got a place too because I grew up kind of near Giant Stadium. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for like a sta- uh, place, like a steakhouse after the game, uh, Valencia Steakhouse. It's in Elizabeth. It's 20 minutes from the stadium, and it's a Portuguese steakhouse. And you get what I always order there is I order the steak on the stone. It's a raw fillet or raw ribeye, whatever you choose, and it comes out on a hot stone and you cook it yourself and they give you like the garlic butter mm. and all the whatever you want to season it with and all that stuff. And their sangria is some of the best sangria that I've had. Plus the place, great value for, for your money. Not in the best area, but it's a solid place. So Valencia Steakhouse. 20 minutes away from MetLife Stadium. We'll be looking out for all these options. There's, uh, it seems like I'm spoiled for choice here in, in this area, so I'm really excited for the trip. You might have to attend your second Giants game sooner yeah. rather than later so <laughs> you can cross thinking. all these off the list. <laughs> and as Hitman is mentioning Valencia, I think of out here in LA, Korean barbecue is a big thing. And oftentimes they'll bring yeah, you know, raw meat to the table, you cook it yourself, similar deal. It's really popular out here, and I can enjoy the experience, but it doesn't do as much for me as it seems to do for most people. Valencia's MO seems way more up my alley. So next time I'm in that area, I'm going to selfishly keep that high on my radar as well. And this weekend, uh, I'll be open to any recommendations you guys might have in the Las Vegas area because it's going to be a Circa Las Vegas football weekend for me with my alma mater USC taking on UCLA in a big rivalry game tomorrow, then a fun NFL Sunday capped off by my Chargers hosting the Chiefs on Sunday night, and the beer that is going to highlight this trip for me, Celebration Ale by Sierra Nevada out of Chico, California. Celebration Ale, a fresh hop IPA clocking at 6.8% ABV, excuse me, (laughs) IPAs, ABV, getting a little mixed up here. Uh, But when it comes to this being dubbed a fresh hop IPA, what they mean by that is The hops they use for this beer are fresh off the bine from this year's harvest season. So most hops and IPAs have at some point been dried or processed. Not the case in a fresh hop IPA like Celebration. And the benefit supposedly is that you get the peak aroma and flavor out of the hops. So in this case, think citrus, pine, some floral notes, courtesy of Cascade and Centennial hops. Celebration's also got a pretty firm malt backbone that gives the beer an amber appearance. So even though it's an IPA, uh, not so pale, more amber in color. 
And I think it's a good moment to weave in a quick Molinsky minute to this episode because David Molinsky always viewed Celebration Ale as an annual rite of passage. It's a seasonal specialty by Sierra Nevada. Essentially, to me, it's come to represent the holiday season in a can. So it's hitting distribution all over the place right now. Really exciting time of year to see it. According to Sierra Nevada's website, if anybody's hearing this and they'd like to try Celebration Ale if they haven't already, should be available from now through the end of the year. Sierra Nevada has distribution in all 50 states, as well as Canada, Australia, and Brazil. So if this one sounds like it's any good, uh, keep an eye out at a beer or grocery store near you, and perhaps uh, Celebration Ale can be widely enjoyed by many this holiday season. Hitman, want to toss it over to you. Going to be lots of Celebration Ale for me this weekend. Any Celebration-worthy plans on your end? No, just just working. <laughs> not like <laughs> it's the same thing. I'm not even golfing this week. It's gonna be 40 mm. degrees and windy, so I'm out this week. So just trying to. I, I had a bad prop week last week, um, so and now I'm on a vengeance to to get some payback on some on some books and win some money this week. So when the weather turns and golf is less of an option, less of an option, does that mean I know we talked last week about your past in Madden? Does that normally see a bit of an uptick, or, or what do you do to substitute golf when that comes off the table? I gotta spend time with my beautiful fiance. There we go. <laughs> Hopefully she's listening and she'll. I'll get some brownie points. But there yeah, you go. Probably probably do something on Saturday, and as I'm on my phone checking some uh, college football scores and doing some prop work. Sounds good. Well, spending time with her sounds like some good life EV, as Rufus Peabody would put it. So can't fault that. And uh, Hitman, I'll let you get to Atlantic City and spending time with your fiance sooner rather than later here as we'll go ahead and wrap up the show at this stage. To everybody in the audience, if you're not already, highly encourage you to follow Hitman on Twitter at Hitman428. You can follow me at MLandis18. A quick programming note, Props and Hops will be coming to you early next week ahead of Thanksgiving in the U.S., so on Tuesday, Jacob and I will be back with Suma for Between the Lines. And on Wednesday, Hitman, Jacob, and myself will be bringing you the flagship Props and Hop show ahead of Thanksgiving. For now, enjoy week 11, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and best of luck with your betting and beer adventures this weekend. Props and hops.